politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, I'm back from vacation. Hope you had a wonderful New Year's. It's great to be back with you for the podcast. And great to talk about big meat. Big meat's back. (laughs) Biden today at the White House. Big meat. I know what you're thinking. I got your big meat. I know, I know, I know. I'm going to move on. It's a new year. Try to be mature. Try my best. Not going to be easy. But Biden's blaming the big meat companies. Thinking they're overcharging grocery stores and ultimately families. Good afternoon. How's your day going today? Yeah, he's blaming big meat companies and not his own terrible economy for how things are going today. And it's interesting because we, our grocery bills have gone through the roof. I don't know about you, but three kids and my son is seven, but he eats like a 45-year-old. I mean, actually, no, I shouldn't say a 45-year-old. I should say he eats like a 20-year-old who just got done playing football is how my seven-year-old eats. So the old saying, eating us out of house and home is very accurate. I'm sure a lot of Americans are feeling the exact same way. The question, of course, is whose fault is it? And... Biden wants to keep blaming big meat. You remember Jen Psaki talked about the meat conglomerates? That was so 2021. In 2022, it's just flat out the big meat companies. Bunch of bunch of thieves. And not one of these big meat companies is smart enough to think to themselves, hey, I could probably undercut everybody else in the whole big meat world if I just go out there and wind up, you know, selling my meat for a couple dollars cheaper. Now they're all in on it together. Big meat's all in on it together, you see. We're here to talk about strengthening competition, which will bring down cost. Back in July, I signed an executive order to promote competition across the economy. In too many industries, a handful of giant companies dominate the market. And too often, they use their power to squeeze out smaller competitors and stifle new entrepreneurs, making our economy less dynamic, giving themselves free reign to raise prices, reduce options for consumers, or exploit workers. The meat industry is a textbook example on the price side. Four big corporations control more than half of the markets in beef, pork, and poultry. These middlemen that they buy from Farmers and ranchers, How about middle women, and sell the processors. Excuse me, and sell the process. Excuse me, sell what? the processed product to grocery stores. That's the that's the way it works. Without meaningful competition, farmers and ranchers don't get to choose who they sell to. Or put another way, our farmers and ranchers have to pay whatever these four big companies say they have to pay, by and large. But that's only half of it. These companies can use their position as middlemen to overcharge grocery stores and ultimately families. If we can hold a second, I was just, I was telling my colleagues earlier in my office that I was sitting in my kitchen yesterday and there's a sunroom. And he goes on about how he can't believe the price of hamburger meat. That's what he goes on to say, the president. I can't believe the price of hamburger meat. Now, look, I, I don't know about you, but if these four big meat companies, one of them would be smart enough to undercut another meat company. And, 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 and by the way, it's one of the most overregulated industries in the entire country. You can learn that by watching Yellowstone, which is a fantastic show. But he keeps saying four big corporations control more than half the markets in beef, pork, and poultry. So why doesn't one of those big corporations undercut the other three? Undercut the other three and do it. The federal government overregulates 
exactly everything. The USDA, all a part of it, the regulation. Slaughtering animals is not something you just do. You can't just walk up and kill a cow in a field. There's all kinds of regulations, and it goes all the way back to the muckrakers back in the day when they had those, those big warehouses and those meat factories. But I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know. It seems as if just one of those, if there's only big four, let's say there's four, let's say he's right. I don't think he is, but let's say he's right. Then, then why would you not undercut the other three? That's that's the basics of making money is to offer a good product at a cheaper price than somebody else. So I'm just I'm just I'm just throwing it out there because that's what I would do if I had Richie's Big Meat Company. I would say my big meat is going to be cheaper than your big meat, and it's going to be better meat. I got big meat for cheaper prices, good meat. Well, I mean, why wouldn't I do that? There's Maybe there's another explanation for it, right? Maybe there's another explanation for why they, they're not doing that. And I would say, again, the reason would be just simply that it's the federal government, again, doing what it does to make things very expensive for the meat industry. Ask ranchers, ask farmers. They'll tell you. They'll tell you how, how incredibly expensive it is. When you have to deal with the with with the industry, and like any other market, there's fluctuations and there's external forces that are involved. But the four of them are not having a nightly phone call, like Doctor Evil, and going, "Okay, wow, we're going to raise the price of beef." All of you agree now, hamburger meat's going to be seven dollars a pound, right? And none of you undercut each other. We're all in on this together, just to rip off the American consumer. That's amazing to me. But I was sitting in my kitchen yesterday, and there's a sunroom off the kitchen, and my wife was there with her sister and a good friend named Marianne, and she was saying, do you realize it's over $5 for a pound of hamburger meat? $5? Well, this is partly, you know, the pound of beef today costs 5 bucks compared to less than 4 bucks before the pandemic. Back in November... Uh, Sven Holsetter, the CEO and president of fertilizer giant Yara International, warned, I want to say this loud and clear right now, that we risk a very low crop in the next harvest. I'm afraid we're going to have a food crisis. He also talked about the rising cost of energy, and especially of natural gas, which is needed to make ammonia, from which urea, which is a key fertilizer component, is synthesized. He says... Yes, prices for this humble chemical, which is the stuff in urine, are soaring to levels not seen in over a decade. The New York Times a month later wrote, people in industries of all kinds are feeling the shocks. The war on energy affects everything, including the price of beef. Everything. Dramatically hiked prices for natural gas and its products. And, 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 and the issue, of course, comes down to what government does to meddle and get in everybody's face. The U.S. Treasury agreed in December to suspend sanctions on potash from Belarus. <laughs> this is from Reason.com. From which about 20% of the world's supply of the stuff is sourced. This is the stuff that goes into the fertilizer. But there's all kinds of other trade barriers in place for fertilizer and its components. Among farmers and ranchers, very few topics are being discussed as much as the skyrocketing cost of fertilizer and increasing concerns regarding availability. It's frightening for Americans, according to the American Farm Bureau. High fertilizer prices could exert inflationary pressures on food prices, compounding food security concerns at a time when the COVID-19 pandemic and climate change are making access to food more difficult, says the World Bank. Now, remember something, too, when you think about the war on energy and the supply chain and everything else is happening. It's not happening because four big food companies are sitting around figuring out how to rip everybody off. It's happening because there's so many things involved in the process. One of the books that we love to read 
with our kids is a book a book called Nobody Knows How to Make a Pizza, which you got to say it in an Italian accent, right? Nobody knows how to make a pizza. I do, by the way, because I make amazing wood-fired pizza. And I, I mean, my wood-fired pizza is amazing. I'm just saying, it's I've perfected it. It's the art. It's a true Napolitan, a Neapolitan. Anyway, Julie Borowski's book, Nobody Knows How to Make a Pizza, is great because... It goes on about all the things that are that go into a pizza and how how many people are involved in making that thing from from the wheat guy to the people that make the tomatoes and then they ship the tomatoes and the on and on it goes. And all of these people and processes are involved in one cheese pizza that you get at your table. And yet when you listen to Democrats, you would think that it's big pizza that's driving up the cost of of your pizza. When the guy at the pizzeria has to buy flour, which he's seen those prices go up, and he's and he has to buy his tomatoes, and he's seen those prices go up, and the cheese prices go up, and it's not because big cheese wants to screw him, and because big tomato wants to screw him, and, and no, it's because all the factors involved in getting the cheese to his little pizzeria have become more expensive. It's a children's book, and it's not read in schools. It should be. It should be required reading. Julie Borowski's book, How to Make a Pizza, is the best way you'll understand the free market. And I read it to our, we read it to our kids all the time. I read it to Claire just the other night before we left for vacation. And, and they, they do these things, all these people, for money, to make money. The, all the people that make the things that go onto a pizza do it for money. And it's the same thing with people that supply you and your family with beef. But there's a lot of factors that get involved, including the government regulations, but also the fertilizer for the fields and the cost of this and that, and then the ship it and the do the other thing. And it's all expensive. And don't think for a second, well, then I'll just become a pescatarian. You could, but all those prices are going up too. Because I have news for you. They're not paddling out to go get the fish anymore. They're not throwing big, you know, just they they don't net. They try not to net as much. But even if they're netting still, I mean, they got to get the fish back. And I don't know, you know, rowing just takes a little bit of time. But Biden is clueless. He doesn't live in reality. He, that's why he's, I was shocked to find out hamburger meat was $5 a pet. Huh? I had no idea. <clears throat> what was predictable, though, is that everybody could have seen a lot of things coming and stopped the war in energy. Quote from the New York Times, In the fall, soaring electricity demand led the southwestern province of Yunnan a key phosphate producer, to order drastic production cuts by energy-hungry industries, including fertilizer. Major fertilizer producers Yauer International, ASA, and CF Industries Holdings said soaring energy costs are forcing them to halt some output of the nutrients crucial for growing crops. Bloomberg Quint noted of the effects of Europe's energy costs. Curbs on fertilizer exports from China and Russia add to the problem as the governments of those countries reserve limited supplies for their internal markets. The U.S. also has a whole bunch of problems regarding its trade issues. The Biden administration also discourages the production of fossil fuels. Remember, this is what they want to do. They want to try to move us to green energy. But of course, there's unintended consequences with all that. British economist Philip Pingleton commented earlier this year, heavy-handed interference in market economies tends to produce the same pathologies we see in socialist countries, including shortages and inflation. So the minute that the government starts butting its big nose into all these things, there are unintended consequences that raise the prices of the aspect in the chain, getting that food to your kitchen table. Biden goes, look at this, I'm sitting down with Betty Lou, Betty Sue, and 
I go down and get $5 a pound for hamburger prices. If he was a Republican, he'd get killed for that. Remember George H.W. Bush didn't know the price of milk in that debate? The Clinton plant and the crowd said, Mr. President, Mr. President, what's the price of a gallon of milk? And he said, I don't know. Just because I don't know the price of milk doesn't, doesn't mean I don't feel the pain of people. Oh, they killed him with that. Remember that? They killed him. He doesn't know the price of milk. First of all, why would he be buying milk? He doesn't even have small children. What, are he and Barbara at the end of the day going to have a nice cool glass of milk? I mean, who does that? Come on, honey. The day's over. I'm exhausted. Give me a glass of milk. Nobody does that. I mean, really, if you don't have kids that drink milk anymore and you don't have children, a lot of people don't even buy milk anymore. I mean, they, they don't. It's just a reality. I, for one, like what Reagan doesn't like, she can't really tolerate milk. And neither could Patrick. But Claire does. But we were, but I'm saying, I mean, I see families at Costco buy big gallons and gallons of milk. And if a Republican doesn't know what they're paying, they butcher them, they slaughter them. Joe Biden goes, I can't believe it. Five bucks for ground beef and the media just turns a blind eye to it. They would go, why would the president know the price of meat? He's not going out there and he's not buying it. <laughs> Which is exactly what George H.W. Bush was making the point of in 1992. And then remember, Bill Clinton came out. I feel it. I know exactly what milk costs. I know it because I try to get it right from the tap. And uh, it's very difficult to do sometimes. Uh, it's not easy to be a small farmer. And obviously, the government subsidizes big farms. And that's also a major, major issue. But that's not something that is isolated on its own. Because again, the four big meat companies are not sitting around trying to drive up prices. They are reacting to things. And I'm telling you, and I've said this before, it all begins at the war on energy. It starts there. It costs everything. It raises everything. And so when all, about, when all of this stuff happens, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, when... when Johnny has to deliver the tomatoes. Johnny's gas prices are going to get passed on to you. To you. I'll tell you something else, too. And I think about this a lot of times. I think about if maybe Democrats had to go and do shopping, they would realize what regular normal people are dealing with. And it's not just a matter of paying for prices. It's what people are buying. They don't, most people in grocery stores don't spend as much time in the organic section as you think. You, know, they, you probably know this. They spend time in the section where they can buy the most food that's as best as they can afford for their family at prices that are okay. The ones that get screwed the most are people that live in low-income areas. They often have food deserts and they don't have a lot of options. I can throw a rock and I can hit Wegmans and Whole Foods and ShopRite. It's wonderful. It's great. We're lucky. We, I mean, today my wife was going to the store, not because she's a woman, but because she uh, was going to the store. I usually do the shopping. All right, before you call me out on this, I like it. It's my time. I go early in the mornings on the weekends because I still get up early. And I, nobody's in there. I put my AirPods in, listen to a little music. Nobody bothers me. I don't go during the day ever. Will not. And I certainly won't go on a Sunday afternoon because that is, you're just asking for trouble. It's not COVID. I just don't like crowds. I never have. But but my wife made the rare thing of going to the store today because she's a woman. And that's where she, she, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But anyway, she went. So she said, where should I go? Should I go to Whole Foods or Wegmans or ShopRite or whatever? And we're very fortunate that we have that. We're very lucky to be able to, you know, make those choices like that. Me, well, I like to find little butchers, too. 
I, I like to drive if I can find a little butcher mom and pop place. But there are some places where you have one option, one grocery store. And in those areas, people are trying to buy because they don't have a lot of money as much as they possibly can because it's a weekly trip to the grocery store and they have a budget. And this is killing them. And a lot of those people are Democrat voters or live in areas where people vote Democrat. The other thing, too, is that stupid government policies like the idiotic soda tax in Philadelphia caused grocery stores to close up because grocery stores were not making money because people were leaving the city of Philadelphia to go into the suburbs where they could buy their soda and buy other things at the same time. And that caused a problem for the grocery stores within the city of Philadelphia. It causes a problem in cities all over the country. You have another problem, too, which is people are stealing and they're stealing a lot from grocery stores, which also raises the cost of things. But all I can tell you is it's big meat. I got your big meat right here and we're going to raise prices on everybody just to get them just because we can. Why not? Oh, yeah. Let's cut through the BS. This is the, oh, the let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli podcast. I'm a little rusty from being off for a week. Give me a break. All right. Uh, but I did hope you I hope you had a great vacation. It was a wonderful thing. Uh, January 6th happened. It happens every year. January 6th. And that's the day that 99.99% of people that voted for John, Donald Trump did not storm the Capitol. did not do anything wrong. However, Democrats are going to use January 6th to besmirch every single Trump voter in the country and also now push for filibuster changes. That's right. Because 99.99% of Trump voters did not storm the Capitol, clearly they need to get rid of the filibuster. Now, I don't understand the logic behind that. Maybe you do. But I doubt you do, because in order to understand the logic behind that, you'd have to come to the conclusion that there is no logic. And so to do that, you have to take your brain out of your head or stab it with a ice pick. And I don't recommend doing that. But you can understand liberal logic if you do it that way. You can. You want to understand liberal logic? Take an ice pick and right into your head. Because it's not based in logic. How could you possibly think that when 99.99% of Trump voters did not storm the Capitol on January 6th, we need to do all kinds of big changes. You, you, we have people being arrested and prosecuted who were there on January 6th, but Democrats love to make everybody suffer for the actions of a few people. You know that. They love that, right? And they never, ever, ever let a political moment pass. A crisis, as they put it. So now what they want to do is they want to change the filibuster rules, get rid of the filibuster to pressure Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to join them. Because what they argue is, if we don't get rid of the filibuster, January 6th will happen again. Huh? I, huh? How does that, how does that exactly, exactly work? I don't really know, but never let a crisis go to, work, go to waste. And right now, as of right now, Senator Kirsten Sinema and Senator Joe Manchin both support keeping the filibuster, which is a good thing. Because the filibuster, if they're going to get rid of it, should not has nothing to do with January 6th, number one. And it's interesting how Democrats only want to get rid of it when Democrats are in power. You notice that? The bottom line is very simple. The ideologues in the Senate want to turn what the founding fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. We will not let them. They want, because they can't get their way on every judge, to change the rules in midstream, 
to wash away 200 years of history. They want to make this country into a banana republic where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Are we going to let them? No! It'll be a doomsday for democracy if we do. Well, I agree with this Republican who's trying to stop the Democrats. And I think what his words are very great. And I admire the fact that he brought up the founding fathers, which is, you know, you do that nowadays. And and I'm sorry, I have something in my ear. Hang on a second. No, as a Republican, that's a Republican yelling about the Democrats trying to end the filibuster. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Stop it. It's my made up producer in my head because I don't have one for the podcast. That, that's uh, clearly a Democrat. To listen, listen to the voice. This is clearly a Republican speaking. Bottom line Bottom is line. very simple. Yes. The ideologues in the Senate right. want to turn what the founding fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. Bravo. That is Republican Chuck Schumer of New York. Damn it. Invisible producer was right. 2005, Democrat Chuck Schumer said eliminating the filibuster would be a doomsday for democracy. One of these days I'm going to get this stuff right. But today's not that day. It's okay. We just started back from vacation. You got to give me a little bit of time. You got to give me a little bit of time to just work things up, all right? So So explain to me then why back then it was the cooling sausage of democracy, whatever the hell he called it, saucer. The cooling saucer of democracy... Now, however, it is uh, it, it needs to go. It needs to go. Explain that to me. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll tell you what. I think it's one of those situations where if you ask any reasonable person, again, reasonable people will turn around and say, it seems like they're using this for political advantage. Right? I think, I think the Democrats might just be using this for political advantage. Just saying. Justin Trudeau is one of the most woke human beings on the planet, as you know. And he's up in Canada. He's also incredibly groomed. He's a big manscaper. He does the eyebrows and everything like that. Probably shaves in parts that we don't want to talk about. Anyway, Justin Trudeau. Man-child Justin Trudeau. Remember, he lectured a woman one time. He mansplained to a woman how we don't say, we don't say mankind. We don't say mankind. See, it's good enough for him to, to mansplain to a woman, but she can't say mankind, if you remember religious this. Religious charitable organizations have in our legislation so that it can also be changed because maternal love is the love that's going to change the future of mankind. So we'd like you to look uh, we, we like to say people kind, not necessarily mankind, because oh, yeah. it's more inclusive. There we go, exactly. Hey, a mansplain to her, though. Yes, thank you. Mansplain to the lady. each other. <laughs> okay, um, charitable status, there is a... Who the hell says people uh, kind, rigorous. anyway? Does anyone you know talk like this? It's like Latinx. Nobody says that either. But they make up words all the time. For all people kind. Nobody says that. And, and if aliens came down and heard us talking like that, they would just blow up the planet. They would. I mean, pe- people kind, these people have to go is what has to happen here. That's what needs to happen. Anyway, Justin Trudeau, man-child Justin Trudeau, now says the following when it comes to people that don't get the COVID vaccine. And this is interesting to me because I would have thought maybe some people were reluctant to get the vaccine or at this point might think to themselves, maybe I just want natural immunity. That seems to be my best bet. Although they argue the vaccines can still reduce severity, but certainly it's not going to stop you from getting this damn thing. But what I didn't know is that they're also racist. That's amazing, too. 
Oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont less sense than when he says it in English. But there you go. So you're racist and a misogynist. You know, some of the places in America where the vaccination rates are lowest are actually in places that are uh, where black people live. Also California, where a lot of granola people live, crunchy people, hey, where Birkenstocks and whatnot, and they don't want to be vaccinated. I'm not judging them, but I'm also not going to sit here and pretend like they're racist and misogynists they may be but don't you love how these liberals just decide that they are they just immediately slam them and just paint them with that brush they love doing that don't they they love they love to do that with people love to put them in what would you say baskets of deplorables the nation's leading infectious disease doctor dr anthony fauci you always have to say that by law by the way you have to always call him that it is the rule he's acknowledging something that we've said for a long time at least i've said for a long time which is the following that when it comes to COVID, Ziba shoes are the easiest excuse shoes. Excuse me one second. When it, when it comes to COVID, the best thing that could ever happen is Omicron. I've been saying it, and you've been saying it too. Because we understand and we look at the science of things. If there's a variant that takes over the other variants and muscles out the other variants, and the other variants that are mean and bad and nasty can't get in anymore, I look at it, it's a, it's a party. And if Omicron's the dominant, doesn't want any of the. Uh, the other fraternity is coming and has a good bouncer and keeps him out. Everybody wins because Omicron is not deadly. It's not killing people. Fauci acknowledges that and even says in this clip with the unbiased journalist, George Stephanopoulos, we really should be looking at case numbers. I'm assuming hospitalizations and not case numbers, even though the media loves to use case numbers. They do. They love it because it's scary. It sounds scary. And that's what the media loves to do. They love to scare people because they're intellectually dishonest. Well, that's the transmissibility problem. But what about the evidence that Omicron leads to less serious infection, less serious illness? Well, there's accumulating evidence, George, that that is the case. Uh, we first got inkling of that in South Africa when one looked at the relationship and the ratio between hospitalizations and cases. It was lower. The duration of hospital stay was lower. The requirements for oxygen was lower. We're seeing a bit of that, not as pronounced in the UK, but certainly that trend. And if you look here at the United States, we don't want to get complacent at all and you don't want to jump to a positive conclusion because it's still early. But given the large number of cases, we have not seen a concomitant increase in the relative percentage of hospitalizations. But again, hospitalizations are often late lagging indicators. Oh, stop. But I still believe that there is indication, even in some animal studies that have been done, George, where they did particular animal models that might reflect what's going on. And the virus does seem to have a lower intrinsic 
pathogenicity to it. We're hoping that's the case. But having said that, George, I want to say one thing. We've got to be careful about that. Because even if you have a less of a percentage of severity, when you have multi, multi, multi fold more people getting infected, the net amount is you're still going to get a lot of people that are going to be needing hospitalization. And that's the reason why we're concerned about stressing and straining the hospital system. That is the huge concern right now. But are we heading to the point where we should be focusing less on the daily caseload? You know, before he answers that, let me just say, you notice how he backtracks and goes, oh, but hospitalizations are still going to be bad. Because otherwise the phone, the phone rings from all the other bureaucrats in Washington going, would you stop? Would you stop it, please? At least give people hope that hospitalizations and deaths will be huge. You know, particularly, uh, the answer is overall yes, George. And, and this is particularly relevant if you're having... An Remember inf- the question, should we be focusing more on hospitalizations and case numbers? The answer is yes, George. But now he's going to babble for another minute. Infection that is much, much more asymptomatic and minimally symptomatic, particularly in people who are vaccinated and boosted. The real bottom line that you want to be concerned about is are we getting protected by the vaccines from severe disease leading to hospitalization? I'm still very concerned about the tens of millions of people who are not vaccinated at all. Because even though many of them are going to get asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic, a fair number of them are going to get severe disease. But in direct answer... You see him acknowledging that many of them will get asymptomatic even if they're not vaccinated. Did you catch that little slip? You see, this is the problem with right now in America, which is this incredible partnership between the government regulators and the pharmaceutical industry. And I've talked about this before. If you watch Dope Sick, which is about how the opioid crisis began. And again, I'm not I'm not blaming Big Pharma. I'm not an anti Big Pharma guy. I'm not a black and white person when it comes to this stuff. These are it's complicated. It's nuanced. But what we have is that we have the government in partnership with Big Pharma. So whatever Big Pharma says, Big Pharma turns around and goes, oh, we need a fourth booster shot. And the government goes, we need a fourth booster shot. Uh, Big Pharma turns around and goes, we need seven booster shots. Seven. They go, oh, okay, we need seven booster shots. The job of the government is to be skeptical. I mean, it's literally why they're there. They regulate. Otherwise, get rid of the regulatory agencies. Right now, they're acting just simply as spokespeople for Big Pharma. I'd be fine with getting rid of them. Get rid of them. They don't need it. We don't need them, as far as I'm concerned. I know it sounds crazy, but again, the interest of Big Pharma is to make money by spending money to create drugs that are that are that save lives or give people, you know. <clears throat> You know, I mean, like the, you know, like Viagra, for example. I'm just saying. But that's their job. It's what they try to do. They're, they don't want to kill anybody because then if you kill your customers, it's like a virus. If you if you kill the host, you can't spread. It's the same thing. I'm not comparing Big Pharma to a virus. I'm saying that it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a good point to make, no pun intended, that Big Pharma doesn't want to kill anybody any more than Omicron does. And Omicron wants to spread. Big Pharma wants to make money. And what... The problem is, is that we have government regulators here, government regulators that are sitting around, and when they're supposed to be regulating, instead what they're doing is they're acting as mouthpieces for the big pharmaceutical companies. And this is a problem. It's way worse than what happened after OxyContin came to the market, in which case the FDA just signed off on it, and then resisted efforts by the DEA to try to rein them in, 
setting up roadblocks because all the people, the FDA, one day want to go work at these big pharmaceutical companies. Now what you have is you have the big pharma companies say one thing, and then the government regulators go on TV and parrot that and push it. And by saying it, they give it legitimacy. So what do we need them for? What, what do we need them for is my question. Maybe we, maybe we don't need any more booster shots. Maybe we need 75 booster shots. The point is that who dis- if the government won't challenge the pharmaceutical companies and you can't challenge the pharmaceutical companies on Facebook or Twitter, you will get booted off. Even if you're one of the guys who developed the vaccines, like that guy who's on Rogan's podcast, that doctor, then what, who challenges these people? Who's there to push back? Some people are questioning, maybe we should cool it with the boosters. Maybe we should let this, this, this variant spread. Because if it does spread and it becomes the, the dominant one, it'll keep the other variants out. And that's a good thing. We can end this thing and move on. But to even suggest that now will get you locked out of Twitter and Facebook. You'll get locked out. And I've heard a lot of people suggest that perhaps we are making a mistake by these boosters and everything else because maybe we're not allowing the spread to occur of, of Omicron, as Joe Biden calls it, Omicron. Again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a virologist, I'm not saying that's the case. But isn't it interesting how the pharmaceutical companies and the government are all saying the same thing, always and always. And there's no place to challenge it. The media's not going to challenge them. I mean, the media goes on and just parrots whatever is said by Big Pharma, even going so far as to scold and lecture the people who are unvaccinated or who question vaccines are horrible people. Facebook is throwing people off. Twitter suspending people. They do this all the time. And why is it like this? Because it's a situation, and we see it all the time, when people in power love to stay in power. Bureaucrats love to be bureaucrats. They love to go on TV. They love it. It's a lot of fun for them. And as long as they can keep doing it, they'll keep doing it. The other problem, too, is that Fauci, little Freudian slip today about his partnership with China. COVID-1 clearly originated in China, and we were fortunate to escape a major pandemic. So we really had to learn a lot more about the viruses that were there, about whether or not people were getting infected with bad viruses. So in a very minor collaboration as part of a subcontract of a grant, we had a collaboration with some Chinese com- uh, Chinese uh, scientists. And, and what he conflated that is that, therefore, we were involved in creating the virus, which is the most ridiculous, majestic leap I've ever heard of. We were involved in creating the virus. But you notice what Fauci said in that little slip. He's trying to be sarcastic. You notice that Fauci's trying to be sarcastic there and saying, whoa, I'm anybody who suggested I had something to do with this. He can't help himself trying to be a little nasty. You know what I mean? Trying to be a little nasty. But he does talk about his collaboration with Chinese communist scientists. Chinese communist scientists. See, the whole point is that by the United States collaborating with the Chinese communist scientists, that the Chinese communist scientists... We're working with the Chinese military to weaponize these viruses. That's the entire point everybody's making. I just got back from Florida, and I have to tell you, I'm looking around at this snow. I can't, I'm just, I want sunshine. And I understand why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, that smoking little hottie, who only you criticize her only because you can't have her, 
Well, that's what she argues anyway. Well, you can understand why she went to Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis had a good quip today. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, I think if, if you if I had a dollar for every lockdown politician who decided to escape to Florida over the last two years, I'd be a pretty doggone wealthy man, let me tell you. I mean, Congress people, mayors, governors, I mean, you name it. There you go. He's right. They love to come to Florida, and I don't blame them. It's just interesting is they'll go back and they'll advocate the totalitarian policies that they don't have in Florida. And when they do this, they then turn around and they bash DeSantis. The truth is that if they didn't have those totalitarian policies in their states, people might be going there. Nah, they wouldn't because the weather stinks. It's usually blue states that have the worst weather. Well, think about it. I mean, I know California has good weather, parts of it anyway. But, I mean, New York, New Jersey, the weather stinks. Michigan stinks. I'm just saying, Texas has great weather. Florida has great weather. And that's all I'm pointing out. So I'm just, you know, throwing that out there. You can think on that as much as you like, and certainly you can make a determination of that on your own because I think it's important. (laughs) But but I do think it's funny, though, when you think about the aspects of what it's like to go to a state like Florida and that be free and this watches people live their lives and then you come back and you fly up to the Northeast and as soon as you get to the Northeast, they start doing the mask up, you jerks, mask up and freeze. While you're at it, you freeze. Literally, it's going to be freezing. And people love it. I don't get it. And then, then while you're here, pay a lot of taxes. Pay a lot of taxes. So I, I'm of the point now where I want to get out of here. I really do. I would like to get out of there. That's my, that's my goal here. But I, I, just, I, I just know for a fact that it's going to be one of those situations where it's going to be difficult to do because Jersey sucks me in. It's got like this giant homing beacon on me. You notice that? They just whoosh. By the way, children being hospitalized right now. Statistics showing more children hospitalized with COVID during Omicron wave doesn't imply they're hospitalized because of COVID. Finally, he's saying what I've been saying for a long time. Finally, admitting on MSNBC, I wasn't here last week to bring this to you. Explain that statistics showing a large jump in the number of children hospitalized with COVID does not reflect children being hospitalized because of COVID and should not be used to imply that COVID is in fact making children more sick than previous infections. Hmm. Interesting. Because all you hear about is children being hospitalized. They don't tell you the whole truth of the story. Do you notice that? They don't tell you the whole truth of the story because they want you again to be scared. And if they can get you scared and get your kids scared and everything else, then they'll love to do it. And this is what they do. And this is the game that's played all the time by these people. All right, anyway, I got to get out of here because it's uh, it's the first day back. I got to take it a little easy. Getting back into the swing of things. Although we did come out swinging. Not too bad. A little late, but I wanted to hear Biden's nonsense with the cow ranchers. Cattle ranchers. Are you watching Yellowstone? It's really good. I highly recommend it. Although I will tell you, though, there are a lot of guns in it. A lot of dudes being dudes. Manly guys doing manly things. So if that offends you, don't watch it. Stick to the Hallmark Channel or ABC, CBS, or NBC. That's the only advice I can give you. Have a great day today. Enjoy the rest of it. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. 2022 is going to be a great year. I'm telling you, I feel it in my bones right now. It's going to be a good year. 